Hey, everybody. Thanks for checking out the 21 Gun Podcast. I am your host, as always, Kevin Sullivan. Hang in there, guys. Hang in there. That's all I can say. You guys are doing a, a fantastic job at uh, staying connected, um, using you know social media, Zoom, whatever it is. Uh, I couldn't be prouder. Couldn't be prouder of an organization whose goal is to reduce veteran suicide and keep us uh, the veteran community out of isolation, and you guys are just smashing it out of the park. Lots of lots of uh, innovative ways for us to stay together, stay connected. Um, lots of people putting up their cell phone numbers and email saying, contact me at any time. Obviously, you can con- contact me at any time, uh, Kevin at 21gun.net, spell it out. It's just great. And, and you know, this has been a, a real horrible situation, especially bad for people who um, may be dealing with anxiety and depression and and whatever else. Um, But that's part of life. You know, we're going to get these curveballs thrown at us and it's just adapt and overcome. And you guys are really, really doing a great job at that. Tonight's episode is with Dr. Robert Sands. He is the co-founder of Pamlico Rose. Now, I keep messing up that name. It's Pamlico Rose, P-A-M-L-I-C-O Rose. So rather than me try to describe you know, what it is that uh, his organization does, I'm going to read you an update that he gave me uh, concerning the virus and concerning you know, his organization and how you can get involved. The whole reason is this happened, this interview happened, you know, I think like six weeks ago before any of this kicked off. And um, part of the uh, idea was to get out a fundraising event for his organization that was supposed to happen in May and that obviously got canceled. So rather than try to explain all that, I'm just going to read through this and then we'll get uh, into the interview. So from Dr. Sands, due to the fact that life has taken a strong 90 degree turn due to the COVID virus, we have rescheduled our ride for Rose Haven, supporting women veterans for October 10th in Washington, North Carolina. This will consist of both a bicycle and motorcycle ride. On October 9th, we will have the opening of the Healing Veterans and Active Military Art Exhibit and immediately following our TED-like vet talks. We will begin posting information for all three of the events soon on their Facebook page and Instagram page. And I'll I'll put a link um, in the show notes so you guys can find out what that is. Uh, And then he goes on, Our society is likely to change in ways that we can't fathom now due to the impact of this virus. What won't change is the need to continue to address and serve female veterans at our Rose Haven Center of Healing, as well as continue to raise awareness of issues that affect veterans through events like Ride for Rose Haven, when the effects of the virus have run their course. Our total life fitness programs for female veterans, such as our three-day retreats and our two- to three-month residential programs, will be waiting. We are also developing virtual programs to extend the reach and accessibility of wellness and resilience-building benefits to those female veterans who may be struggling with reintegration, especially now with the emphasis on social distancing. So his organization, as you can hear from that, um, focuses on female veterans and uh, the unique uh, obstacles they face, especially if they have some sort of anxiety or trauma, past trauma from from serving in the military. And a really, really, really good organization. They have a big heart. And, you know, just talking with him, you can tell that they truly, truly care about um, helping female veterans. And there's also room for male veterans. Uh, he goes into ways during this interview of how males can uh, can help out their, their sisters um, in arms. So rather than, you know, me try to explain anymore, uh, we'll just let 
him say it. Also, uh, uh, Mike Reynolds um, is also on here. He's a uh, Marine Corps veteran, and they kind of explain their relationship, how they met each other. And um, yeah, so I hope you enjoy the show. Uh, go over to irreverentwarriors.com to check out all the Irreverent Warriors information and hopefully when the next um, hike will be. And obviously go over to 21gun, spell it out, 21gun.net to see all the links and all the stuff that we have going on uh, with the podcast. I think that's everything. So without further ado, here's Dr. Robert Sands. All right, so so I'll give you actually. Let's uh, just out of curiosity, Mike. Do you do the Reverend Warriors? How how did we hook up? So we were actually just talking about that. So I don't yet. I haven't been to a silky hike, but you uh, will. Oh yeah, I definitely will. Definitely. Um, so I know, like, I think there was one coming up in Raleigh, and I really, really wanted to make it. And of course, you know, I made some lame excuse or whatever and didn't. Make it, but um, I, think I was watching that, and then I saw you like people and talking and stuff and then you would mention something about a podcast and then i was thinking about like rose haven and stuff and i was like you know we should get this together to you know because it's the same audience you know what i mean mm-hmm. the same type that, that we want to get our message to so i was like you know i think that's where it kind of took off from and um and then you all of a sudden got famous and didn't talk to me for a while <laughs> that's not the case <laughs> it's <laughs> the, 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 the <laughs> All right, so I'll give you uh, for for uh, I I want to call you Doctor Sands. Is that the appropriate, or do you go by Rob or Rob is fine. Okay, so um, let's start with I, I want to find out how you guys know each other. How did how did you two or, or do you not know each other? I don't know if you just met tonight. And we're like, hey, let's do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so <clears throat> a couple years ago, me and my wife were looking at buying houses down here in this area, and one of the places we drove by was the Rose Haven house. And there was a sign out there about helping female veterans. And, you know, so I told my wife, I was like, I need to, I need to do something with this. You know, this is something that, that I could get involved in it and help with. Um, that was three years ago, almost. So I guess I kind of put it off a little bit and, um, I got involved with a, a group that I thought was going to be good for that kind of stuff. Uh, I won't mention who they are, but, um, so then we started kind of working together. I reached out to Rob, you know, hey, I'm a part of this group. You know, we can provide help with this and that. And we started kind of, he would have events going on and, you know, we would show up to help out. And then uh, that group just really, they, they weren't helping. So I disassociated myself from them. And uh, we just continued uh, to try and help, you know, whenever they have stuff going on or, you know, um, put them in contact with people like you to, to push the word out to everybody else, you know. Yeah, excellent. And uh, how long have you been out of the Marine Corps? Jeez, uh, 13 years. Okay, yeah, about the same amount of time I've been out. Um, well, the Air Force, not the Marine Corps, but let me think, seven. Yeah, 13 years. This is my 13th year being out. It's crazy. Uh, so, Rob, I, I looked at your your uh, bio, and to say that it's impressive is, uh, is an understatement. Now, it seems to me you've had a lot of experience with the DOD, not on the military side, but on the uh, strategy side. On the, Let's kind of give me your background. 
So I was, yeah, I'm an anthropologist. Um, I was in, living in California uh, teaching, um, and in 2008, I left California and went to Maxwell, uh, culture shock for several different reasons. Um, so I was involved in, um, let's just modernizing their culture curriculum to more than just a booklet that you read before you deploy. So that's what I did for them. And then um, I left Maxwell and went to DIA for three years, Defense Intelligence Agency. Um, and then I started teaching for Norwich after that. I started reading stuff about um, military. I was, uh, let's just, I, I was a left-leaning, you know, I, I, I was a pacifist. But for some reason, um, what was going on um, appealed to my sense of, I don't say duty because I wasn't military, but it appealed to me that I could provide some help. And so I, that's when I left and I took the job at Maxwell. Um, and it, as an anthropologist, that was uh, not the thing to do because at that point in time, anthropologists were not supposed to be working for the DOD. The human terrain system had just started. Yeah, I did do a double take when I saw that. I was like, anthropology, DOD. All right, he'll explain it. <laughs> so so, um, so I wasn't a human terrain. I was more involved in the in providing and learning for people that were deploying. Um, but the human terrain gave, um, so a lot of professional anthropologists decided that's not what anthropologists should be doing was working with the military who shoots people. So we were sort of, I don't say blacklisted, but there's a small number of anthropologists that work for the DOD. And there's a reason why there's only a small amount. Um, and so I stayed there and I really uh, became galvanized by what, what was going on and by the need of, especially it's a, in 2003, 2006, nobody knew anything about Iraq and nobody knew anything about alliances or you know clans or whatever. And so um, we failed to yeah. provide the appropriate kind of instruction and learning for the, for the people that were going over there. So that's, really prompted me to continue to, to work for the Air Force. And then when I went to DIA, I entered another different world, but it's the same kind of thing. Intel analysis, you know, analysts need to kind of stuff I was in for the Air Force. Sure. Yeah. I mean, knowing knowing where you're going is very important. It's not like World War II where the culture moves with the with the front line, right? As the American... No yeah, yeah, there isn't. And you're living amongst these people and you have interpreters and you have even in the, the uh, air side of things, you know, we would land at foreign air bases and, you know, <laughs> what the hell's well, going on here? Interestingly enough, um, I can st I still continue to uh, work with the Air Force. I, I teach five times a year at the Advanced Air Mobility Operations course at, um, at Dix. Well, at, at McGuire, but at Dix. And so I still with I still enjoy that class. A yeah. Lot. So here's a question. Uh, when you were down in, in Maxwell, how did the active duty guys, it's a different culture, civilian, especially civilian coming from, you know, uh, California, you come down here with a bunch of, I'm sure a bunch of these guys have deployed at the time. Uh, how did they, how were you received? Um, there's two types of civilian uh, PhDs that work for the, at least for the Air Force, but overall for DOD, those who really understand the that's what they're there to do is to teach and to provide the service. And those who are, want to research and want to, you know, make a name and then uh, move on. And so um, the most of the people at the Air Force Culture and Language Center were very dedicated and, and that showed. And um, so it wasn't very difficult to establish relationships with the, with either our students or the 
were the people that were also at uh, Maxwell who were military. Okay. What were, did you have any preconceptions going in? Um, and then afterwards, were, were any of those false or did, were you correct with any of those? Um, the Air Force um, is a different service than the rest of the... It certainly the is. I, I will not argue that. Um, and you have too many... We, supposedly we have too many golf courses. That's true. And I hate golf, so... <laughs> yeah. Two at Maxwell, so if you didn't get one, you had, you had a second one. Um, so there, it, that's a different, I guess, culture between, between you know, all the other people that I've worked with and, and taught over the last 10 years. But for the, for the Air Force, it was a... Um, was a very Christian service to, to, to me. I mean, there was, uh, you know, Air Force and uncertainty tends to go together with faith. And, and the Air Force had, had more of that than some of the other services. Um, but that was a very interesting thing because that provided, uh, you know, some kind of a understanding for me to be able to, to use that, to be able to get to the kinds of things that I thought would be very helpful for them. Um, knowing their background and, and knowing uh, their faith and how they handled uncertainty. That was, that, that was big. That's interesting. I never, I never thought of it, but as you say that, I'm thinking back to a lot of the guys I served with. And yeah, there were a lot of, uh, a lot of guys that, that wore their faith on their sleeve with their rank, I guess. Um, well, I mean, you're a flyer, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. A lot and you know, if you kept thinking about the risk all the time, you wouldn't be able to fly. So it's 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 easier to be able to establish a relationship with something else to be able to provide that certainty to you. I mean, that's just a you know, an answer, kind of a behavioral way of looking at it. But it's kind of bears true. So one of the uh, one of the dom- domains of wellness that that we're using is is spirituality, and for for the department of defense, for especially for the for those who are enlisted and who are active right now. Um, that usually equates to a religion, and it usually equates, uh, equates to Christianity. And so, trying to tease religious, religious, religiosity from spirituality, and then even from transcendence, um, there's not resistance, but they you they more understand the spiritual or the religious side of of what we're of what we're trying to say within that domain, but. Still, I mean, how many in the in the department are Christian, and how many are a different religion, or how many are like yourself agnostic or even atheist? Mm-hmm. Trying to trying to be able to balance. Okay, we want you to feel um, this notion of there's something out there that's bigger that you know you need to engage with something bigger or something outside of yourself, uh, and trying to be able to accommodate that large continuum of faith and non-faith or believers and non-believers is a very uh, delicate walk. If you think about it sure and and i think it takes away i think uh, having a strong whether it's uh, christian or, or muslim or jewish or wh- whatever it is having that strong faith i think takes a lot of the burden that you're going to experience um like you said from flying or from combat or from even returning from those those things so so what's the journey from you know you were working for the dod you're currently up at currently with norwich I'm, yeah, I teach in the graduate uh, and graduate professional studies department. So, I, as I said, I teach um, mostly soft uh, senior enlisted getting their bachelor's, and so I'm I'm the one that provides the culture of the anthropology piece of that. Okay, okay. So, when did and I I see a bunch of different names. So we have Pamela Rose, we have Rose Haven. Uh, just give me the when did that start? Where did that seed come from? And then uh, let's talk about your philosophy. So the 
so the seed was uh, different seeds produce different flowers and so there's a lot of different seeds to this and both of my sisters are in in the room right now listening so and they're and they've been a part of this as well so um so my wife and i were driving up from charleston uh air force base where i gave a presentation we ended up going through washington north carolina which is where we're right now and it's a really nice little town and waterfront um at that point in time uh i was attracted to that and so um, other, the, other seeds had been germinating in my head around that time. Um, one had to do with historic preservation. I, I was in a former life, I was an archaeologist and a cultural resource manager. And so the nature of history and preserving it really appealed to me. And then um, this, uh, these couple of other seeds kind of started germinating. And one of them is uh, my wife uh, at the time was working, working for sexual assault prevention response in the DOD. And so she was chief strategy officer and we started uh, really understanding the plight of female veterans or female service members who then become female veterans and and uh, military, military sexual trauma and, and the, the kinds of things that they endure and then have those kinds of things that affect you know male uh, male veterans PTSD but from similar you know, uh, different circumstances similar kinds of condition and what happens so that started coalescing and then um, my mother passed away in 2015 and uh, she left all the kids, all six of us, in inheritance, and so that became a, a fuel for for what was to become Rosehaven. I mean, Chemical Rosen and Rosehaven. Um, so all those things kind of coalesced, um, and uh, Washington became the the site of that seed. Okay, excellent. The um, I, I don't know, and and you obviously would know more of this than I do, but uh, when I was in. And this is going to be a little shocking because, you know, and I don't know if Mike can can or has any similar stories. But, you know, when we fly an aircraft, we there's men and women together. Right. We we all serve together. We all. And there was a sexual assault that happened in my squadron. The Office of Special Investigations had to come in and everything. And um, it was in, in my case, it was like, gee whiz. Wow. I didn't know that could happen. And then we just kind of moved on. How, how prevalent is that because we're hearing a lot more about it now it's always underreported always underreported so whatever the figures are it's it's worse than that okay uh, so that's one thing um the the prevalence of uh military sexual trauma which can be which can all the way from just sexual harassment to rape right so there's a big continuum within military sexual trauma um that is probably one in four one in five wow uh, Female, female active are, are have experienced military sexual trauma, right? And so, um, the kinds of things that affect women who are um, who do that outside of the service um, go through same kinds of things. Um, but the the fact that you're within a service and you're expecting to be, you know, part of that, and and there's a betrayal, and that not only feeds that, but there's a lot of um, retaliation if you do report it and so there i mean everything is stands in the way of, of somebody like a female who's been has military sexual trauma of, of having that um of having some resolution to what had happened to her um and so when when they get out like like male veterans they have a difficult road to hoe but for female veterans um they also isolate they don't self-identify um, they have the same kinds of anxiety and stress that male veterans do when they have PTSD. 
um, but they're also single mothers when they get out. Um, they receive less in pay than male veterans. Um, they're the fastest growing homeless population of all the DOD populations uh, female veterans are. They have a higher suicide rate percentage-wise for male veterans. I mean, everything starts to tick up. And um, it's a very difficult thing to comprehend because most women don't go into combat, or at least most women aren't in combat, even though they're in combat zones or they you know, are within conflict areas. Percentage-wise that, that uh, come to, to Rosehaven, is that correct to call it Rosehaven? Or is yeah, that's okay. Okay. Um, Percentage-wise who have uh, sexual trauma versus those who are dealing with anxiety, PTSD from, you know, maybe being a trauma nurse or trauma doctor or a flight surgeon or whatever it is. Or I'm trying to think of the, the combat roles. Or you could even be a truck driver that's just, just stuck in a firefight. Um, what, what's the percentage there or what's the ratio? So, um We've had uh, one retreat. We have, our first retreat was in October. We have two coming up, actually this weekend and in April, and then we hope to start having more retreats. And then we also have a residential program that we're trying to build as soon as our house gets done. But um, even within that group or the or female veterans that we know personally, it's 80% uh, is from uh, military sexual trauma. That's unreal. Yes. What is the the DOD and the VA's response to this? Because when I got out, uh, I mean, I, I didn't have the the VA here in Durham. Um, I mean, it, it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare for, and that was a combat-related incident. I mean, what are they doing for these women that get out that have a history of trauma? I mean, are they screening for potential PTSD? Well, so this is, this is a, um, has, re, has kind of like a crisis situation right now. And it's a lot of it is because of the exposure of what's going on. And a lot of it is because it's the, the ineptitude of the VA to handle the kinds of things that are now being presented to them that they're traditionally not known to do, which is handle female veterans, right? Um, and so, and in some cases, uh, when women choose not to go to the VA, for reasons like male veterans who don't want to go to the VA, but for other reasons, like there's no uh, reproductive health care there, um, there are male doctors, there's not a lot of female doctors, um, they get sexually harassed in the in the VA by not only staff, but by the, you know, by the clients who are traditionally older veterans, right? Um, and so it's, and it all comes together and there's not a place they want to be. Um, but then again, on the other side, they're still suffering what they're dealing with, and there's no other recourse for that for a lot of them. And so, it's a, you know, it's a it's a really it's a spiraling kind of thing. Now, fortunately, that has now become known, and so there was a House bill passed in November that called out specifically the VA that needs to start addressing this issue. And so, there's going to be some money thrown at it if it gets passed through the Senate. Okay. Um, so there, and the VA realizes that there's a situation that they need to address. So where, where we come in, like where nonprofits come in, is that um, we're, we're kind of like a, a gap filler, right? We think that we're, what we're doing at Rosehaven, we're creating a very healing and safe environment for them to come to and to form community. Because if they don't self-identify, there's no way that they can know who's another female vet or not, right? And if it's like several layers down, that'll never come out and they'll never be able to provide, get the support that they would need from somebody that's gone through a similar circumstance. So Rosehaven or, or Pamela Rose or whatever the nonprofit is, they provide that safe space for the female veteran to come and start to understand what might be affecting them and how they can start to work 
at some point then, perhaps on the outside of, or on the back end of that, the VA could start to work back in again and provide more wraparound services because but we're not profit and we don't, you know, do a lot of the things that they might need. Right. That's, so that's where a nonprofit would, would handle that equation. That's where we would start. Um, and I think in some ways the VA is going to have to understand that right now that probably is the best way to address some of the issues that they have is by relying on people outside of the VA to provide that. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's really common. I think it's one of the greatest things that came out of uh, this, this 20 years of war that we're experiencing is that people are going to the VA and a lot of them are, are noticing that there's a gap in the care that they need versus the care that's being provided. Or and that could be a time gap that could be just in the necessities that this or whatever this veteran needs, it, it's not being met. And that leads to a lot of isolation. Like in my case, I went and uh, I needed to establish care and they said, oh, you establish care, you go through the emergency room. And you know, here I was, all right, so I walk in the emergency room. Hi, I have PTSD. I was told to report here. Next thing you know, I'm in a, a padded room without my cell phone and they're making sure I'm not a suicide risk. I'm like, I'm here to set up care. And that was, I mean, that, that was horrible. But Kevin, that's the difference between care, right? And, and medicine. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. So if you think about it, what the VA has traditionally been set up to do is provide medical relief for people that have been injured or, or through war. Right. And so now the VA has been tasked with World War II, where there was like uh, shell shock, and with Vietnam, they had no idea what it was, but the people came home and this existed on the street, and they were suffering everything that we're suffering now, but only probably to a greater extent, right? Because nobody liked veterans in the 70s. Right, right. So now at least there's a, a sense of, yeah, we need to handle this and we need to be able to treat our own. Um, but it's still an institution and it still moves in an institutional sort of way. And so the kinds of things that are being thrust at the VA right now, like um, transgender, like LBGQ2, right? And then like female veterans, they're not staffed to handle the diversity of people mm -hmm. that are to their doors. And so they need to spin really fast to catch up. Yeah. Yeah, well, a lot of veterans are and, and non-veterans are taking it into their own hands and, and coming up with these fantastic organizations. I mean, if you can't find a VSO to meet your needs, it's be, it's because you're not looking. <laughs> totally agree with that. Um, VSOs are serving that, that gap filler for a lot of that, right? And so now the VA has gone to this thing called um, holistic health, which is they really are starting to mimic what happens in the, in the real world, which is where companies are starting to understand that maybe integrative holistic health, right? healthcare and, and uh, well-being is the way to is the way to prevent kinds of things and so now the VA is going to that um, and they're trying to now reproduce some of the things that you know companies have been doing for a decade or two which is you know give them wellness and mm -hmm. give healthy living and you'll at least help be able to establish some sense of um, understanding and care for what they need but also would engage the patient more than just having a patient-doctor relationship. And so a lot of it falls on the patient to be able to better understand what their needs are. Sure. Sure, yeah. Uh, what we've been doing, what I was trained to do in the, the Western model is is treat the symptoms and you're not treating the root cause. So, it, I mean, it's just Band-Aid after Band-Aid after Band-Aid. It's like sticking your finger in the dike all over the place and, you know, it, it's it's not going to work. And I've seen it not work. And you can just look at, you, using just a, the medical model as, as a, um, I guess, a microcosm, look at 
look at over the past 30 years what has happened to our country, right? We have obesity rates that are through the roof. We have diabetes, which is going to be one in two people uh, in the next 30 years. 50% of the country is going to have diabetes. I would actually estimate it's higher just by what I've seen. And what has happened in those 30 years? The government has told people what to eat. People have been going to the gym. People have been doing everything they're told and taking their medicines, and we're still getting sicker. And it's in our lifestyle. It's in our wellness. It's in, we're not being people. That's what it comes down to. We're not being human beings. You know, we're not getting enough sunshine. We're not, you know, playing with our kids and we're not, you know, eating the right foods and we're not taking time to do something as simple as breathe or maybe do 20 minutes of yoga three times a week. And the people that I can, you know, I, I preach this all day long and, and I can only get maybe one in 10 to try it. It's it's remarkable how they can come off medicines just by putting these little changes into their lives. But the the, the point is that uh, you can do yoga and you can do a diet, but but if you don't start to integrate all of those kinds of domains, which is which is what encompasses wellness, then you're only getting partial relief or you're only getting partial benefit from it. So part of what we're doing at here is to establish um, a a cross between total force fitness, which is what the DOD now is doing because of the, they couldn't handle the PTSD that was coming back and they were redeploying people that had PTSD. And so they said, this isn't going to work. Our system isn't working. So that's when they went to a more wellness approach and that's been a decade. So now there's trying to integrate that more into what's going on. But again, from a military perspective, where do you insert all this stuff, right? Because it's if you connect it, and use it and integrate it as a, as a whole, then that's great. But if you try to piecemeal it into training or try to intervention over here, it's not gonna work as well. And so the other part of it is the holistic health thing that the VA is doing, which is which is the way to go. But then again, it's being centralized in a traditional medical model and they're not, they need to catch up with what they're trying to do. Sure. So what we're trying to do is establish something that's a holistic concept that there's persistence to be able to engage these things over time and then provide the community and the support that's needed to help reinforce that. Right. So the, the important thing to us is that there's mindfulness, which is staying in the present, which handles, which can handle a lot of anxiety, which can handle a lot of stress. Right. And the other thing is that is to, is to transcend, is to get out of yourself, be something larger. Right. And then, for, for a lot of people, it's either gardening, it's yoga, woodworking, or, or those kinds of things. But what's unique about what we're doing is we're building a place where all that happens. Okay. They don't okay. go somewhere else to get it. They can come to where we are, the center, right? It's a center. So we have gardens. We have a barn for woodworking. You can do yoga in the back. So there's a lot of um, a sense of identity for people that would come to a center where all their like all their touchy-feely needs, if you want to think about it, are met right there, right? Mm -hmm. and you, we can, you can hug as many trees as you want in our place. We have a lot of <laughs> so, so that's, that's the, there are like important elements there that if you do it uh, integrated and you do it consistently and you do it in a place where it's healing, then you get triple the benefit. Right. So what's the, if you could boil it down uh, to a talking point, what is the mission of Rosehaven? So... As a as Pamela Rose, which is a nonprofit, Rose Haven okay. is the same. Okay. So our mission is to advance wellness and resilience building programs for female veterans who are struggling with reintegration. That's the that's the uh, soundbite right there. Okay, and uh, obviously the location is down in in um, 
uh, Washington NC. Don't say Washington DC. Uh, and it, we kind of went a little bit uh, about the the house and stuff. But when I looked through through your, you know, what you offered, there's a lot, and it was kind of, you know, we saw I saw life fitness, three day integrations, three month R and R programs. So if someone was interested, and they said, you know what, and and let me tell you, just being with irreverent warriors. There's a lot of female veterans that are coming out to these uh, events. So what Irreverent Warriors does is we basically bring people out of isolation uh, and we put them back in the atmosphere that they experienced in the military, the positive things, right? The, the camaraderie being number one, being the irreverent humor, number two, being able to laugh at ourselves, being able to laugh at stuff that, that you know, when you're at your civilian world, people would look at you like you had two heads on, right? Um, just, just getting out of, it's almost like taking off the armor that you're wearing all day as a civilian and just being amongst your people again. And it, it works. It works very well. Um, we have some good data about folks, you know, coming out and, and improved quality of life. And just the fact that you're taking people isolation, you're giving them something again. If you go to the Irreverent Warriors pages, there's about, we have 60 hikes and each hike has its own Facebook page, its own groups. And you go on there and everyone's connecting and everyone's talking and they're going out and they're going to movies or they're going just last weekend. I went with a group. We went shooting at um, uh, one of the guys ranges and it's just getting out and reintegrating and being, being amongst your people again. That seems to make a, a lot of sense. So we well, do. You ever, what's that? Do you, you ever read tribe by Sebastian Younger? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a great book. Well, or a great book. What, what's amazing about that book. And that one comes up on this uh, podcast all the time too. The strange phenomena of looking back on what should be a terrible experience with joy. <laughs> <laughs> looking back on the blitz right of britain and calling them the good days you know and that's but it makes so much sense if you've been in those situations when we were we were just talking about this like when a hurricane comes through north carolina probably it's a little more severe up where you guys are but everything gets put on hold the minutia of the day gets put on hold and all you're focusing on is a your family b your neighbors and although it's horrible <laughs> And it can be a devastating situation. There's a goodness that comes out of it, and that's a weird. It's a dichotomy of, of thinking that's that's no. hard to explain. The younger said in his book, he goes, the the PTSD that really hits isn't when you're active and engaged in that because it's a very in the moment kind of thing, and you're trying to survive. And the PTSD it hits when you come back, and there's no and there's no group to belong to. Mm -hmm. That's when it really slams you. So. The sense of what you guys are doing, which is pulling people out of where they are and putting them together and doing these activities is uh, the best first step. Yeah, yeah. And uh, again, I, I've been going on a lot of tangents tonight, but uh, <laughs> the there's a lot of females, a lot of females in our group that are that come out and hike and they're very active in the program. And I can guarantee you just by the, the sheer number of service dogs I see and stuff that there's, there's women that, that would be interested in your program. So if let's say I'm a female veteran. I just hear the name uh, Pamela Rose. Uh, what do I do? How do I get enrolled? How do I learn about this stuff? And what sort of programs are you offering? So at, right now what we do is offer three-day uh, life fitness retreats. And so they come from a Friday through a Sunday. And we provide them understanding about the, the, those kinds of qualities and wellness that we think are important, nutrition, um, hiking, uh, yoga, we provide them uh, awareness on mindfulness and anxiety management, those kinds of things. And they come together in um, a group. And these women, never they've never met each other. 
And again, some of them have not self-identified to very many. And so they start to form community while they're there. Um, and hopefully the, the kinds of things that we provide to them in terms of this life fitness will stay with them. Um, so that's how we're starting. But if you, you know, the, the kind of stuff that I sent you, so I provide, I did a lot of uh, instructional design and for the, for the DOD. And so retreats, you leave a retreat and how much of that stuff actually stays. So what we're trying to do is develop partnerships with uh, institutions like Beaufort Community College and, and build a back end to that. So they come to the retreat for three days and then we provide this um, online asynchronous or even synchronous kind of course where they continue what they're getting from that retreat two months down the road. So then you're, you're kind of like reinforcing and kind of baking it in even more. And at the same time, it's a cohort that stays together. Okay. So that's that's what we are aiming to do so we'd have a pre a, a retreat and then a post course kind of component to this right and it, all three would be would come together and it would be just a total life fitness retreat or total life fitness course so that would then provide more bang for your buck if you continue to associate with the people that you, you were there from the beginning but you also were reinforcing the kinds of things that we think that you should be doing so that's an important element that's what we want to kind of follow too are you collecting any sort of data? I mean, are you having them do quality of life scores and, and things like that? Well, at this point, we're, we're providing them questionnaires, and, um, and then we have a post-course assessment that we receive information back. And it's, you know, our approach is more evidence-based, right, which is where we're, we build it. We have a lot of, I think we have a lot of smart people that are coming together and building this kind of stuff. And then... Um, evidence suggests, and then you start to follow what your intuitions were versus what you're getting feedback from, and then you you know you and you fly the plane and, and change it at the same time. So you, that assessment goes into how you de deliver the course, right? I mean, I got to tell you, uh, there's not a lot of research or data points on female veterans, right? And any kind of uh, understanding that can help feed at least a learning program is, is would help tremendously. And I, I, this might be redundant. I don't remember if I asked this already, but are you in communication with anyone in the DOD about this program and letting them know how this is running or are they showing any interest in, in what you're doing? So um, we have several on our board who are social scientists who work within the DOD, um, myself and others. Um, we have people that have, have become part of this faculty for this retreat that um, like we have the clinical psychologist who's the deputy director of SAPRO. He's on our faculty. We have the woman who's uh, the captain in the DOD who's liaison with the U.S. Public Health Agency who runs a total force fitness. She's, she's in our retreat faculty. So it's really fortunate that we've been able to coalesce people around what we're doing who actually have been involved in this with the DOD. So you're looking at military and then the, in the veteran aspect of it. So, yes, that we have people that understand what we're doing and have been providing outreach for us. How about uh, like a female that is in um, North Dakota that hears this and says, you know, I think I can benefit from that, but you know, she's that single mother. She's got too much on her plate. How, how, how can she get involved? She can get involved by reaching out to us at least. Right. And then understanding what we're doing. Um, at this point where, as we begin like this, I think the, the most important thing that we're doing is pro is developing the instruction and developing the curriculum and developing the way to be able to address this for people in North Dakota from an online perspective, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, um, 
there's no reintegration courses out there that I know of for veterans who are struggling at a community college or even at a higher, you know, at a four-year school, right? So there's a need for that kind of a instruction for veterans as well. So if you start to think about what you can do from a distance learning perspective and how you can connect people in North Dakota with somebody in, you know, Georgia, that's that's where it's at, right? I mean, yeah. and, and even in the DOD, we, we knew that it was online and that online application was going to bring for, for people who deploy, that's the way to get to them, right? Mm -hmm. So that's that's where that's where we see the value of what we're doing. Yeah, we have a really cool center, and people can come here and they can be part of a program or come to a retreat. Uh, it's an exportable model; it can go elsewhere and still be effective. So that's really cool. You meet, you meet the needs of some, but it's better to meet to you know be able to meet the needs of, of many. Sure. Technology and this generation of, of veterans, I mean, it, it plays such a huge role um, with the social connections on, you know, social networks it, at a simple level with that and through through, I mean, you know, like distance learning. But it's kind of ironic Kevin, because it, technology allows you to connect. But what we're trying to do is get people to go back to yeah. gardening. That's true. Right. So it's it's an anti-technology kind of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you want to connect through the dirt or you want to connect through whatever you're painting and that's I guess it's not anti-technology but at least it's providing a sense of trying to get to who you are and be able to better understand that um, one of the people that work in our retreat is an art therapist at uh, Camp Lejeune in the TBI clinic um, and so she has a lot of success dealing with using art as a means for self-expression because for many veterans, uh, female or male veterans, being able to express how, what they feel and being able to express the, the story and, uh, and all the emotion that goes into it can be uh, extremely uh, resisting. And so being able to provide that creative expression, that opportunity to do it through art or something like that, what an incredible way to be able to do that. So, you know, you might have had the opportunity to do that when you were with the TBI clinic. Right. Uh, how do you reach, so, and this is coming from me, say, 10 years ago when I first started practicing medicine, uh, I would have looked at a lot of this and been like, gardening for, come on, what are you talking about? This is all woo-woo stuff. This is all, uh, how do you break into those folks who are, who are stuck in the take your medicine and, and what we say in the Air Force, shut up and color? <laughs> yeah, well, there it is, right? Art therapy right there, shut up and color. Oh, yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, well, um, so a lot of um, medication happens uh, when it shouldn't happen. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah. So uh, we're working. I've worked with a, a couple of veterans, even at Rosehaven, who are female, but who have come and volunteered because they find something meaningful about what they're doing there and how they're able to transcend themselves and do something better, but also be able to work with their hands, stay there in the moment, and and be able to process this stuff better. So. It's um, for some people, it may be a nudge that gets them past that. But after that happens, it's all in, right? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. So, oh, absolutely. So being part of a community where this is going on, where you see this happening in front of you, where you're introduced to a lot of people who are nudged and are doing this, that's a, a valuable reinforcement. Um, now, I, I have two uh, last questions. Let's say that I know specifically for PTSD, and this is just from personal experience. Sometimes getting out can be an obstacle in and of itself. How do you get someone who might be in that state to say, I'm going to allow myself to go away for three days amongst strangers and, and experience whatever this is that I'm going to experience? 
All right, so maybe it's not that you can do it right away, right? Right. You can't do that. So let me give you a, a quick, a quick aside. But there, it comes, it segues back, right? So, um, let's say you're a, a, a veteran and you come to Rose Haven and you want to work with, uh, and it's kind of a cool thing, and, and maybe you uh, volunteer for a couple of days, right? And you, and you just, you find it really enthralling, but you also find it self-satisfying and, and, you know, you come back another day and then you come back another day. And then you start to talk to the people who are at Rose Haven, who are either veterans or not veterans who are there for kind of the same kinds of things. And so maybe three weeks later, you've been there eight days and you spent two or three hours there, right? Over time, over time, that, that trust that you build up, um, that sense of going there every day, because, you know, how, how much, uh, how scheduled we are, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that becomes more not, I have to be there, but I want to be there. So let's say over like a month or two, they've met more people who are there, who experience some of the same things or support them because of what has happened to them. Um, they've been able to build things and, uh, or, or plant things and, and harvest something. But gradually over time, they've expanded their universe X, X amount. Then this kind of thing that you're talking about right now becomes becomes more um, possible. Mm -hmm. You've already pushed it aside. You've already established it and you've opened up the aperture. And now a trip to California may be easier because you've been trips to Rose Haven or you, you've been providing that opportunity to, to grow in what you're doing. So in some ways, um, it's a very time-consuming healing process. And you have to put in the time to be able to do that. So folks can come to your to, to Rosehaven for an hour and, yeah. and check it out? And Okay. No appointments? They can just show up and... I'm a, uh, yeah. well, that's really so, the, cool. so the thing is, is that we're working in the gardens every day. Um, we're, our house is in the last ed, uh, stages of being rehab. There's always something going on, and we're always building things... Um, there's a group of dedicated people that come, um, but a lot of people who, and who are veterans just come by just to, to, to you know, to, to see what's going on, to sense it, to taste it, to kind of like understand what's going on, or they come and sit and just reflect. I we have one um, one uh, member of the DAV, a local DVA, that comes and just sits on a, a bench in the back where the birds sing and all the trees are, and they she just sits there and thinks about all the people that she, you know, served, with. and that's her way of of being in the moment. I mean, the, the fact is, is that, and here's a real interesting, as an anthropologist or social scientist, part of how you heal is through social interaction, right? Um, you derive it, you feed off other people. Um, the interaction provides you a sense of, of being outside of yourself. So if you think about it, Rose Haven is part of a, a growing circle of community, right? There's a community of people that come and work there. There's a community of people that come and, and go through a retreat. There'll be a community of people that'll come and stay in our house for three months. Um, there's a community of people that come and help. So you have so many intersecting senses of, of, of community, right? And that is where male veterans and others kind of fit in. It, it, if you think about it, it just kind of goes around and there's a community over here and there's a community over here and over here, but they all connect at the same place. Maybe not at the same time sometimes, but at the same place. So that thing is like paying dividends by just sitting there. Right. Uh, Mike, how have you been involved? So, um, you know, we, we've donated some stuff here and there or whatever, but 
Um, 4,000 bricks and counting is what he's donated. <laughs> All right. Wow. Look at that. Well, um, there's a patio at our house. We wanted, my wife wanted it gone. We tore it up, planted grass. And then every day I got the, what are you going to do with all those bricks? What are you going to do with all those bricks? And I was like, you know what? I know somebody that needs them. <laughs> so yeah, they've slowly been coming to get them. Um, <clears throat> but like last year they had the, the second annual, um, bicycle ride. And, uh, the one before that, there were some motorcycle riders there that actually led them out of town and the bicycle riders really enjoyed that. So they wanted to do that again last year. And, um, so there was a few of us out there and we let them out of town and, um, one of the guys that, that came and rode, you know, it was, you know, up here, take a left, take a right, go out of town and turn around and come back, you know, and he's like, that's it, you know, for us, you know, we, I drove an hour to get here to ride five minutes, you know, what, what's the deal? So he was like, we should do a motorcycle ride. So we started talking about that. And, uh, this year we're going to do the first one. Um, we're going to still have some of us come and lead the, the bicyclist out. Um, and get them started on their way and then going to run over to uh, the Harley dealership in Winterville, Boneyard, and uh, kick stands up there at 930, ride back over to Festival Park and uh, have a, a, a sizable event there for the weekend. Okay. And that's what's the weekend called? Uh, if people want to go, this is May 1st through May 3rd, uh, and, and plug it away. It's, it's called the Healing Vets Weekend. It's okay. May 2nd. It's a Friday, Saturday. Okay. On Friday, and Friday we have um, a veteran art exhibit. So veteran and active uh, submit their work and they come. Uh, we have a reception for them. Um, and right after that, we have what's called Vets Talk, which is like a TED Talk, only with uh, vets and other people who have understanding of veteran issues talking. So we have two or three speakers for that. That's on Friday. And then the next day we have yoga. We have a bike ride, a motorcycle ride. We have a veteran outreach fair where we have a lot of VSOs come in and set up tables for veterans. Um, and this year we're going to have a band. We're going to have food uh, vendor trucks and we're going to have food. And so, and we were trying to make it more friend, uh, family friendly. So in, in some ways it's bringing veterans and veterans together and then veterans and non-veterans together because around here in North Carolina, you can't spit and either hit a veteran or somebody that's have, that has a number of veterans in their family. So, Everybody's sort of clued into what's going on, but sometimes they don't understand fully what to, and to be able to appreciate what the conditions are and how to better help them. Right. Well, it's uh, I mean, it, it's fantastic. And, and the more I hear about organizations like this, I mean, it just gives you it gives you such hope that, you know, folks don't have to suffer and and they don't have to. I know part of the suffering is dealing with not a not knowing b being on medicine and not being to your full potential right and and whatever path you take to get to that potential there it's there you just have to look for it um i want to whenever i hear an organization like yours i must annoy the hell out of everyone who's on my social media because uh, <laughs> i'll be blasting it out check out these guys check out these guys but i'm definitely going to send out a lot of information about you i just know that folks just for the fact that folks hike with us with the reverent warriors it tells me that they are active in in healing and to know that there's an organization like this specifically meeting the needs of of female veterans and this this uh you know horrible reality of of sexual trauma being the majority of it which again that's i mean that's that's shocking uh, i mean i i just know that it serves uh, a major purpose where can folks who are listening to this podcast where can they learn more about it where can they get involved 
but they can go to our website, which is www.pamlicorose.org. Uh, we have information. We have a couple of videos on there. We have information about the programs that we have. Um, they can contact me at my email, which is also on the website, um, and uh, we can start with there. Okay, and it's uh, for the Marines. It's P A M L I C O <laughs> Rose. Oh, there it is. There it is. He's, hey, is that <laughs> <fun> for you? <laughs> yeah. All right. That's that's awesome. Hey guys, thanks for thanks for sharing. Um, you know, uh, it, this is a passion of mine trying to get people help and it's you know if people didn't take their time like you guys did tonight to to share the story i mean from our from from us it's thank you too as well I oh mean, absolutely having somebody who um anthropologists call themselves participant observ observers and so you don't learn until you participate sure and so having somebody who's uh in your position and what you've gone through reaching out and advocating it just is that much more um heart heartwarming yeah. Absolutely. And we're going to, we're going to, uh, you know, every interview I've done, I've made a connection to the point where you're going to, I'll text you every now and then. And you're gonna be like, God, this guy's still texting me, but yeah, we'll keep a relationship there. And next year when this, when this, uh, bike ride comes up, we can come back on say how your year went, uh, how these retreats are going and things like that. I mean, want to come up and uh, walk around, lay some brick, <laughs> shovel, build a brick. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if you guys were closer, uh, I was telling uh, Mike, you know, I, I wish we could have done this face to face. Um, but that doesn't mean we can't. I'm not going anywhere. Reverend Warriors isn't going anywhere. So, you know, maybe next year. Uh, yeah, we'll set up. A, maybe we can do it right from uh, Rose Haven. That'd be great. You you wouldn't want to leave. Thanks again, gentlemen. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you so Thanks much, Kevin. Right. Absolutely. Take care.